Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. My dear friends in Christ, I always find this just a little bit funny. It's like the, the biggest no-duh moment of all of Scripture is that after 40 days of fasting, Luke says Jesus was hungry. I mean, I'm hungry if I don't go for, you know, two meals in a row. I think that's a little weird that Jesus would have to make known that he was hungry after 40 days. But I think there's actually a specific purpose in reminding us that Jesus is hungry here. If you think about it, when we are at our weakest, that is when we are most likely to give in to temptation. Temptation is not a sin. To be tempted is not a sin. To give into that temptation, or even, and this is kind of the Lutheran distinction between Lutherans and Catholics, to think about giving into that temptation is a sin. So, to give into it, that's the problem. To be tempted, that's not the problem. Everyone is tempted, even Jesus. And for the Son of God, who is also the Son of Man, if He wants to identify with us, He has to be tempted just like we are. And He is. And we see here how it is that we are able to come over temptation. And the way is by the Word itself. It is so easy to be tempted into sin. It really is. To think for a moment, well, I'll just do this or I'll just go ahead. It's all fine. No one's going to notice. No one's going to care. God knows it's a small thing. God's going to forgive me. Whatever it might be. Waste time on the job. That's a temptation. If you give into it, that's a sin. To take something from your job, small as a paperclip. That's temptation. If you give into it, it's a sin. To gossip about somebody doesn't seem like a big deal. It's a temptation to share what you know. If you give into it, it's a sin. To look at somebody with a little bit more affection than they need to have in your mind or in your heart or in your eyes, well, that's a temptation. You give into it, that's a sin. See, being tempted isn't the wrong thing. Giving into that temptation is. And Jesus shows us that to defeat temptation, it must be done through the Word of God. Every time he's tempted by the devil, he answers him not just with his own words, but with what is written. Now, Jesus certainly can answer with his own words because he's God. He can do whatever he likes. But he shows us that the best way to do this is to answer with what is written. You're tempted to gossip, speak back the Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Tempted to steal, speak the commandment. You shall not steal. Tempted to give in to your dislike for someone and let that become hate, remind yourselves you shall not murder. Look at something that your neighbor has with Oh, a little too much desire in your heart, a new car, a new snowblower. Remind yourself, 
You shall not covet your neighbor's house. See, the word of God is given to you that you might use it. Not just that you know it. That's good. But that you use it. Let it be ingrained into you. Let it be a part of you that you might be able to speak back to the devil and all of his temptations that this is what God wants for me, not what you're giving to me. But it is that Jesus is hungry. The devil waits 40 days for Jesus to be hungry. Doesn't have to wait that long for you, does he? The devil waits 40 days and he comes to Jesus and he tempts him with three things. If you're the son of God, command this stone to bread. If you are the son of God, worship me. I'll show you everything. You give me worship, I will give you the nations. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down off the pinnacle. Because you know, God's not going to let his angels let you go. They're going to catch you. You're going to be fine. And three times Jesus answers him with the word of God itself. Man shall not live by bread alone. You shall worship the Lord your God and you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now just real quick, I always like that third answer that Jesus gives because it's kind of like, well, Jesus is saying don't put God the Father to the test in some way to send his angels. But Jesus is actually talking about himself to Satan Don't put your Lord, your God, to the test. Basically saying, get behind me, Satan. I was like that. Jesus, though, in these three temptations, shows us, I think, the three primary ways that the devil is going to tempt us. Now, I kind of have a feeling that there may have been more temptations of the devil than just these three. But these three are given to us that we know the three ways that we are tempted the greatest. The first is by self-provision. Command these stones to be bread. You know, I think this temptation for us is, is really quite easy to grasp when we realize what's going on. Um, Because we're Americans. And we have this thought in, in our midst that if we just pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, then we'll be okay. If we just work hard enough, we're going to be fine. If we just have enough interest in one thing or another, then we'll excel at that. But the reality is that sometimes you try your best and life still stinks. And sometimes you work really, really hard and and your boss still hates you. Sometimes you can't do it on your own. And you need the help of your neighbors. You need the help of your community. You need the help of your church. But most importantly, of course we know this, you need the help of your God. Right? Right? Because if it is not for God, then all of our work is in vain. It's true. If God doesn't want you to do something, it's not going to get done. And if He wants you to do something, He will aid and assist you along the way. You may never know that He's doing it, but you should realize where that's coming from. You don't know why it is that Things seem to be going so well at work all of a sudden. But maybe it's God working behind the scenes for you. Whether or not you like know what he's doing, 
realize that you are his beloved child and he wants the best for you in this life. He does. He does want the best for you. Not because he promises health and wealth and prosperity, but because he loves you. What father doesn't want the best thing for their child? You know, I heard, um, I think it was Shaquille O'Neal was saying that he is not giving his children anything out of all of the money that he, that he has. Because he needs his kids to work. And he needs his kids to value work. And not just rely on what their daddy did. Now you go, that seems a little weird, right? Because obviously Shaquille is rich and you would think that he would want... I mean, I, don't get me wrong, it, he's still providing for his kids, but he's talking about he's not going to start their businesses for them. He's not going to provide all of their housing and cars and stuff like that, all the wants that they have. But I can guarantee you that if any one of his children ends up in trouble, that he's going to be right there with them and helping them to understand how to get out of that. You see, Shaq has a different idea, but I think it's a good idea as to how to prepare his kids for this world. Doesn't mean he doesn't want the best for them. Doesn't mean that he's not going to work to get the best for them. But he's not going to always make it easy. Our God's will is hidden from us. We don't know everything that he's thinking in every situation at all times. We don't get it. And we think, well, if God really wanted the best for me, then he would bless me in such and such a way. Now, that's not the way God works. God knows what is best for you. And there he is providing a way. He's providing what you need. He gives you the air that you breathe, the food that you eat, the family that you have, the friends that you hold. He gives you the shelter that you have, the car that you have. He gives you everything literally in this universe to provide for you so that you could have the best. And the best, of course, that we know in God is eternal life in Christ. And so even if you're not getting the things of this world, he is certainly providing for you through his church Word and sacrament to bring to you life everlasting. You see, our temptation in in terms of making it on our own in this life translates so easily into our temptation to make it on our own in salvation. To take on salvation. To make this, well, if it's it's up to me, then I'm going to try to get to heaven as best I can. When I was doing my research for my master's degree, I was looking at whether or not you can test how religious a family is as a unit. Not individually and then kind of add it together, but as the unit, can you test that? No one had ever done that before. And as I was interviewing people, it was very, very interesting because I would, say, I would ask questions like, well, where do you think you're going to go when you die? And of course, most people that I interviewed would say heaven. And for the Lutherans, everybody had a pretty good idea when I asked the next question, why? Because Jesus Christ has saved me. For almost every other Christian that I interviewed, the answer to that question was, where are you going to go when you die? Well, heaven. Why is that? How do you know that? Because I try to be a pretty good person. What a stupid religion that is. I try to be a pretty good person. Trying isn't going to get you anything. Self-provision isn't going to get you anything. You cannot do this on your own. You can't. 
Whether it is living in this life to make the bread that you need to eat or saving yourself, you're not going to make it. It's dangerous. Because both ways lead you into the maw of hell. Salvation, certainly, because if you try to make it on your own, if you do this without Jesus, you are never going to add up to the standard of perfection that is demanded from you by the law. And certainly, as you try to make it in this life, if you make it on your own, you're going to take everyone off who's around you, and you're going to upset God because you're not recognizing the fact that He is providing for you. The second way that, that Satan tempts Jesus, well, is idolatry. Right? Now, I love this because this, I think all of science fiction actually can be taken just from this little sentence that he has here that Luke gives us. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Imagine that for just a second. How many kingdoms have been in this world? And how many kingdoms yet are to come? in this world. And the devil shows Jesus every single kingdom throughout the world and all throughout history from the past and all the way to the end. What enormous power the devil has in this. And what an amazing thing it is to be shown such a vision. Wouldn't you like to know the next kingdom to come after America? I would. I'd like to know when and where and so I can start getting prepared and things like that. But, you know, I mean, you imagine if Jesus is king and like literally the king of America and he's ruling over it and we can go to him and he's doing all the things that a king would do, that might make things a little bit easier. And, and I think Jesus, as he's shown all of these kingdoms, knows that. If I can rule physically for the people in all of these kingdoms, I can make life good. Yeah. Jesus knows that. He's not surprised by that. Now, that discounts, of course, the idea that Jesus is the king over all the nations already without the devil's help. But the devil is right in that the the authority over the nations has been given to him. This world, until Christ returns, belongs to the devil. It does. And that's because, honestly, God doesn't want to have anything to do with the world. I don't mean the, the earth and the people that are in it, but the world is in this thing, this ephemeris thing that tries to attack us, to, to take away our faith, to turn our eyes away from God, to persecute us, to martyr us. That's the world. And God doesn't want that. And so the devil has been given this to rule over. And he does very well. In fact, I would say it's very unlikely that any one of you has been tempted directly by the devil, by Lucifer, Satan himself. Because he has set the world and his demons in motion that everything else is fine. And he can just sit back with all the laziness in the world and just watch what happens. Maybe he's focusing his attention on the really powerful people, but the world and the demons, they're coming after you with everything they've got because the devil has set this up to do such a thing. He's got the power. He does. And he says, I'm going to give this to you, Jesus. I'm going to give you all the power over all the world. Your followers will never want for anything. They'll never be persecuted. Everything will go well for them. All you've got to do is worship me. It's a small thing. 
It is. In these times, it was that the, uh, that the Christians were, well, I should say after the ascension of Jesus, the Christians would be approached by the Romans and they would be demanded of to make a small pinch of incense offering to Caesar and to say the word, Caesar is Lord. Three short words. Very quick. Very small action. And yet, Christians by the hundreds, Christians by the thousands, went to their deaths rather than throw that pinch of incense for Caesar. Because that was an act of worship to the kind of Caesar God cult thing that was going on. Small thing to worship something other than God. Really is. We are tempted to do this all of the time. We have so many things that want to be our gods in our lives, whether that's power, whether it's authority, whether it's uh, uh, sex, whether, I mean, and money, anything can be our God. And in a culture like today, we put our gods on display. Not maybe on our bookshelves at home, but certainly in the movies that we watch or the TV shows that we watch, the radio that we might listen to, the politics we get involved in. I mean, we put our gods up there and out there for everybody to see. In that sense, we are no different than the Romans who you walk into their house and they have their household gods on the side. And when you walk in, you've got to offer as the guest the little worship to their household gods. It's no different. How many of us would invite a Democrat into our home if we're Republican or a Republican if we're Democrats? Today, much more unlikely than it was even a decade ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It just doesn't happen. You don't cross those lines because you don't want to worship their God. You don't want to give in to their God. And we do this in so many ways, not just politics. But the devil says, all you have to do is do this little act and worship me. Jesus' response to this is, no, I'm going to worship God. Now, this is kind of weird, of course, because Jesus is God, but he's talking here about his Father. I'm only going to worship the Father. He is the one by whom all things come. And he is the one that is deserving of, is the only one deserving of all worship ever. We're tempted to idolatry. And Jesus gives us the answer. I'm going to worship God alone. And in that sense, you're doing a good thing by being here, are you not? Is here you learn again how to worship your God rightly. Here you walk through the doors and you leave behind the gods of this world and you focus on who is the one true God, Jesus Christ come into the flesh. Because by His face you have seen the Father. By worshiping Him here, you worship God in all of the, the triune truth that is out there. Then of course... I think this is the sin of our age. The devil takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple and says, throw yourself down and certainly you're not going to hurt yourself because God is going to watch over you. He's going to command his angels concerning you. We just sang that song on eagle's wings. I mean, this is, we know this verse. And it's kind of like, well, so God doesn't want to hurt us. But why does the devil take Jesus up on the pinnacle of the temple? Because if he threw himself down off of that pinnacle and the angels went to catch him, everybody would see it. Everyone. There are so many people in Jerusalem, so many people in that temple, and you have a man who throws himself off the highest point of the temple, things are going to happen and people are going to notice. 
And so this is really, I think, a sin, a temptation into sin of fame and adulation. Today, this is it. Between TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and all of these social media things that people want to get famous on. I mean, we pay people to be famous by posting pictures of themselves. That's weird. It's weird. Used to be to be famous, you had to be some kind of hero. You had to do something that was deserving of fame. A founding father, an intelligent person, a, an Albert Einstein who was just so smart that he, he put all the world to shame. Then that very quickly started developing in the 20s and 30s into, well, putting fame into sports people and calling them heroes. And true, they do incredible feats of strength. But deserving of fame? I don't know. Adulation? Maybe. Depends on how great they are, right? I mean, Bart Starr, Brett Favre. You kind of want to give them a little bit of adulation for all the things that they did, right? And that's okay. The problem is when we seek that. When we seek after it. We want to be valued. We want to be worshipped by the people around us. We want to be noticed. That's kind of the sin of the 21st century. And Jesus' answer to this is, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Now, you might go, well, how does that answer it? And I'm going to say this. Go live out your vocation. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, go and be the best thing that you can. God has called you to be a parent or a grandparent, then go be the best parent and grandparent that you possibly can. Don't look for adulation from your kids or your grandkids. Don't look for them to appreciate you. Just do it. Because I can tell you, they are not going to appreciate you. We know this. If God has called you to be a good worker, a good employee, then go be the best employee that you can be. Don't look for your boss to say, well, you are just so valued at this company, I'm going to give you a raise or I'm going to give you a promotion. That's not what we work for. We work to be the best we can be. We do what it is that God is calling us to do. And by asking for more, by expecting more, by begging for more, we are putting God to the test because he's already provided for us. And now we want man to provide more of what God has given? Doesn't quite work that way. I mean, just in a very realistic sense, Jesus was already famous. He was. John the baptizer had literally just pointed to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now Jesus was going to go and begin his public ministry. He was going to go preach throughout all of Israel and beyond. And people were going to follow after him because of the signs that he would do. He, was, he didn't need fame. But to ask for more than what God has already given to you is to put him to the test. It's, not, it's different from this, this self-provision. This is, I want, I want my ice cream and I want the sprinkles and the chocolate chips and the hot fudge and the whipped cream and the cherry on top. Instead of just saying, thank you for the vanilla. Jesus gives us the answer. 
And so the devil departed from him until a more opportune time when the devil would go and inhabit Judas and lead Judas to betray his Lord, to give him over for 30 pieces of silver, to bring him before trial and to ultimately have him crucified. And the devil laughed because the devil thought he had won. I don't know if the devil ever thought that he was going to get Jesus to give in to temptation, but it didn't stop him from trying. And certainly, I don't know if the devil ever thought that Jesus wouldn't rise from the dead, but it didn't stop him from trying. The devil did what he could to stop the work of God in this world. And yet Jesus went to the cross, and that was his plan. His plan to overcome temptation, his plan to overcome sin, all for you, that you might be saved. Yeah, it's true. These temptations are great because they show us how it is that we're to be tempted and how we're supposed to answer the devil. But we do that not because we think it's going to earn us anything in God's eyes, but we do it because we love God and because he loves us. We want to seek out the real answer to temptation, which is to rely on God and not ourselves, to focus back on his word. We want to do this because we love him, because he loved us. He loved you so much that He has given you all of the promises of everlasting life. He gave it to the Israelites as they went into that promised land, that picture of everlasting life which is to come for you. And in that you give thanks to your God just as the Israelites would give thanks to their God for bringing them out of Egypt. You give thanks to your God for taking you out of the world and bringing you into what is good and right and a recreated world. And you do that because of he who died for you. You do that because he has overcome. And know that when you don't overcome your temptation, when you give into it and when you sin, because you will, because Jesus was weak after 40 days, and we're weak all of the time. When you give in and you sin, know that that's a sin for which Jesus also died. He has not left you alone. He has not left you to wander in the desert for 40 days or 40 years, but instead is with you every step of the way, constantly reminding you of what he's won for you, constantly reminding you of the forgiveness that he gives to you, constantly reminding you that he has overcome sin, death, and the devil for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.